This is a Sandy Way Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. All right, today my guest on the show is Christy Wright. Christy is someone I've been following for a long time on social media, and she is such an encouraging person. I highly recommend following her. She's Christy B. Wright on Instagram. She's a number one national best-selling author, a speaker, and a business coach. She worked for Ramsey Solutions for years, and that is where she first began speaking on stages. And I love the story she tells about how she even started speaking, just kind of threw herself into it. In this episode, we talk about that. We talk a little bit about speaking on stage and how to do it well, if that interests anybody. It definitely interests me. But we also talk about motherhood, what it means to Christy when she says she hears God's voice and how she strives to be an optimistic person. Something that comes a little bit naturally to her, but also something that she cultivates as well in her life. This is a really uplifting conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. If you're enjoying this podcast and all the shows we're putting out every week, please consider supporting on Patreon, patreon.com slash You can support the show for as little as $1 a month to get all these great episodes in your feed every single week. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. Just go to sandyboyproductions.com to learn more. And uh, friends, I truly hope you enjoy this conversation with Christy Wright. All right, friends. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? I'm so excited to have Christy Wright on the show. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thanks. I'm so excited about this. And by the way, the name of your podcast is brilliant. I'm like, I, I feel like I say that 10 times a day. You don't, you don't yell, do you? <laughs> no, but everyone in the house yelled. It's like, I feel like I, I'm just like, it's too many, too many noises. Too many noises. You know what? I'm going to jump right into that topic really quick because, man, I had a moment yesterday with one of my kids where he was flying off the handles and then I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried to not fly off the handles. And then I flew off the handles, you know, and I try so hard to do all those things that the parenting people say, like, I understand you feel this way, Sure, all the things. But I got to the point where I was like, I am not a robot. (laughs) I'm a person too. (laughs) These, like, I can't, I mean, and I know I'm the adult here, but like some of this stuff, it works But sometimes I'm like, it feels so robotic because it almost makes you like mask your own emotions in the situation. And I don't know what the true answer is. It does. And I think it's interesting too, because, you know, we all follow, you know, different people on on Instagram or social with just advice and and so on, especially if you're in the trenches with littles like I am. And I think somebody put this on Instagram, but it was one of the most difficult things I think is trying to teach your children emotional regulation, help them emotionally regulate while you yourself regulating yourself. That's just a lot of regulation happening simultaneously. (laughs) I can cover you or me. I don't know that I can do both at the same time. It's a lot. It's It's, a lot. (laughs) It's so, so much. I try to enter it all with like giving myself some grace, having some, for lack of a better word, balance. Like not going to do anything perfectly here. Right. 
Right. Um, okay. So I just thought I'd start off with that because when you said that, I was like, that is the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. But let's introduce you to the listeners. You know, I knew who you were from years ago when you worked for Dave Ramsey, Ramsey Solutions, and you had Business Boutique. I think I remember hearing you on like Jamie Ivey's podcast yeah. probably, what, eight years ago? Yeah. Very long time ago. So tell us a little bit about your work history. And I know this is loaded because it's been a long time, but like what brought you to doing what you're doing today? Yeah. Well, I think one of the, the coolest part about, um, you know, our, our career journey, I think it was Sheryl Sandberg that said, it's not a corporate, it's not a ladder you climb. It's more like a jungle gym. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely been my story, but, um, I'm a problem solver. I love to help people. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I, I definitely am optimistic by nature and my personality. So I, I love to try new things. And so when I, I felt like I'm a person of faith, so when I felt like God called me to leave Ramsey solutions, no bad problems or anything like that, it was literally actually one of the best years of my life there. But out of nowhere in November of 21, I really felt led to leave. Well, then I start thinking, of course it's terrifying, right? Um, and then there's the legal side of that, of like non-competes and things I couldn't do in, in work I couldn't, things that I'd done before that I couldn't do again. So then that's scary because it limits you a little bit. But I just, um, as I really, you know, took some time to rest and reflect. And um, honestly, I, again, this, totally comes back to my faith, but I felt like God showed me what was next. And that was to train speakers Mm -hmm. and not just train speakers, really just train leaders, podcasters, um, influencers in how to communicate and share their story. So whether that's a business leader that has a podcast or leads courses or does, um, trainings or whatever, or, um, a person of faith that, you know, they, they think, Oh, I'm not a speaker, but they want to share their story of what God's done in their life, or they want to lead a Bible study. There's a lot of people that talk in front of people, mm-hmm. groups of five to 50 to 500 or more, and they don't know how. And I do, cause I've been a professional speaker for over a decade and, and I've always loved teaching the craft of storytelling and humor and organizing your content. And, um, and so I've spent the last year and a half building a business, training people in, um, just professional communication. And so it's been really cool to see how the principles I've used on stage for over a decade translate to a 60 second reel on social media or, a. 45 minute podcast interview or a course or a book outline or a landing page copy or product description copy. And so I'm really taking those principles and making it super simple for people to organize their content and communicate with confidence, which I think is so needed. You know, a lot of people have microphones and they don't know what they're doing. So I just want to help them out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But okay. Here's what I'm thinking when you say all this, how did you even learn how to do it in the first place? When you were working for Ramsey and you were on stages all over the country and probably world, like, how did you figure out, am I naturally good at this? And then yeah. how did you perfect your own craft? Okay, so it's a great question. I was literally thrown in the deep end. I'd never spoken before in my life and the story of even how I became a speaker, which I'll just share that really quickly um, because yeah. it's a good takeaway. It's a good lesson for your audience, whether they are in business or leadership or not. It's a good word, especially for women, because um, I assume you probably have a, a large totally. female audience. So I was a project manager for Dave Ramsey in 2009. And so I led all the like teen Bible studies and books and products. I I was a project manager. And um, between 2009, 2010, his daughter, Rachel Cruz, was graduating college, coming on board to be the face of the youth and teen market. And there were no other personalities or authors other than Dave. It was a smaller company at the time. And I was probably like, I don't know, my mid-20s. 
And um, in the spring of 2010, Rachel was booked to speak at this conference all over the country. It was 10 different dates, a thousand college students at each conference. Wow. And it was really the whole thought behind it, behind the guy that set it up, was that it would just help her get her speaking reps and get, you know, become a good speaker since she was going to follow in Dave's footsteps and so on. So I'm managing this whole deal. They had handed it off to me. Two weeks before she's supposed to go on the road, they sent us the travel schedule and it was just the worst travel schedule you can imagine. Two and three connections. You were in an airport 18 hours a day. Like it was a nightmare. And so I had to go to Dave Ramsey, her dad, our CEO, and get this approved. And he said, no, this is way more than we agreed to. Um, She can do half of those dates. Of the 20 dates, she can do 10 and they can pick whichever 10, but she's not doing all this. This is two weeks before the conference starts. So I was like, well, crap, (laughs) because I got to go back to the conference and be the bearer of bad news. Again, Lindsay, I'm 25 years old. I'm a project manager that's been at this company six months. I sit in a cubicle that no one can even find me. I'm so hidden. Like I'm so nobody at this company. Just to give you a context of like how this whole thing got started. So I go to Dave. He's like, no, I go back to the conference and I didn't really know how it was going to go. I was like, I'm going to deliver the bad news and we'll just fly by the seat of my pants. See how this goes. And so he said, um, I said, I'm so sorry. She can't do this. She can do 10. (laughs) You can pick whichever 10. You're welcome. But she can't do 20. And so he said, Christy, what am I going to do? He said, I don't have her booked for 10 keynote presentations. I have her booked for 20. What am I going to do with those other other 10 events? And I said, I'll do them. And he said, can you speak? I said, I think so. (laughs) Never had spoken in my life. How did I get here? This is it. Um, So, but here's, here's the beautiful takeaway. Okay. I didn't ask permission. I didn't audition. I didn't interview. I didn't get approval. I just saw a problem and came up with a solution. And that solution was me. And I figured, I'll figure it out as I go. And why that is so important is that one decision changed the trajectory of my entire life. And I went on the road that summer and I went to all of Rachel's events and ran AV for her. And then I would hop to the other city and I would do the actual talk. I wrote the talk that both of us gave. And then that fall, they started a speakers group, just kind of slid me in the group. Again, no interview, no audition. She did a good job this summer. Let's let her keep doing it. And, and I'll get into how I, I really learned and got, you know, got good at it. But even getting started, the takeaway there, especially for your audiences, women so often, and research shows this, we wait until we have 100% of the qualifications before we apply for a job or try for something. Totally. Meanwhile, men are interviewing and applying when they have 40 to 60% of the qualifications. And the truth is you learn the most by doing, mm-hmm. not a piece of paper, not a degree, not proof or someone's permission slip, by doing it. So how did I get good at speaking? By doing it. And I said yes to the opportunity before I knew how. Say yes before you know how. You'll learn how after you do the thing, but you have to say yes to get the opportunity to do the thing to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just such a good reminder for for people that are at a fork in the road or have an opportunity in front of them and they want to back down. Say yes before you know how. You'll learn the most by doing in parenting, in business, in speaking, in anything by actually doing it. So get out there and get moving and try some stuff and, and you'll learn how to do it. But once I got slid into the speakers group, all of the other speakers in the speakers group, there's seven of us, five men, two women, me and Rachel Cruz. Again, I was like 26 at the time. Um, each speaker had a message and a market. Mm-hmm. So John Acuff was like young adults, mm-hmm. um, right in like, you know, following your dream. Uh, Andreas was the Spanish market for money. Rachel was youth and teens for money. Everybody had a message and a market except me. So what happened was 
I just became this catch-all. Any request on any topic to any audience got sent to me. <laughs> so like, do you have a speaker on life balance? Sure do. It's Christy Wright. I didn't even have any kids. I didn't even know what life balance was. Do you have a speaker on corporate bullying? Sure do. Christy Wright. I got sent everything, Lindsay. But here's what's amazing. That was unbelievable training ground for me as a speaker. Because I learned how to connect with audiences from age four, truly, to 84, truly. I have spoken at family reunions. I have spoken at Fortune 500 companies. I have spoken all over the country to all different audiences. So I learned how to connect, how to research, how to craft a message, organize a content. So I feel like my trajectory in terms of learning the craft was just like a hockey stick compared to other people that maybe had a more one-dimensional experience that was more comfortable, more safe, more predictable. Um, so I learned truly in the deep end of <laughs> speaking. <laughs> Did you write all those talks though? Everyone. So like, okay, now that you are mom of three, not only mom of three, but like home with your kids and launching your own business, I'm sure you have some childcare and whatnot, but like totally different than the corporate setting you were in. Now do you laugh thinking of this 25-year-old woman with, with no kids who's like kind of like solely focused on career, like speaking on balance? You know what's interesting? It's so funny you say that. If you were to go back and pull up my talks from that time, what's so interesting is what I say is actually the same. Yeah. And it's not because I had a lived experience of it at the time. I didn't. But I think that I do have a gift of seeing people. Yeah. Like I really see people. I see their struggle. I see their pain. So I didn't have to live it to see it. I could mm -hmm. see moms were burnt out. I could see they had totally pushed themselves to the back burner of their own life. I could see that they had forgotten who they are. So even, you know, 10 years ago, I remember speaking on Life Balance. I would say like, you've, you've lost part of yourself. Like I was saying things that were so true that then I lived as a mom of three kids, but it's so interesting. Cause I think that the gift of seeing people now I made lots of mistakes in speaking though, but the most of the mistakes I made early on where I just tried to cram too much in like a lot of speakers do. I just too many ideas. And so I'd talk too fast and too much information and people couldn't remember any of it. Now it's much more simple and flows better, but it's so funny because if you go back and look, the life balance content has certainly evolved and I've gotten more like catchy and memorable with the way that I say it. But what I said about life balance is living from your values. I said that 13 years ago before I had kids. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I mean, I shouldn't say, you know, there's two things. Like we can be ageist either way, right? We can be ageist towards young people. We can be totally. ageist towards older people. And I do feel like we're, you and I, in this like 30s, 40s, 50s is like that middle ground sweet spot where you're mm -hmm. like mature enough, old enough to know, <laughs> have a little experience, but not too old to be. And I hate this term and I don't believe it, but what people view as irrelevant, mm -hmm. you know, and I, we all fear that as we get older, right? We yeah. all fear being irrelevant, but um, it's not to say I shouldn't judge. I shouldn't say a 25 year old who doesn't have kids yet can't speak on something like that and can't know about balance because maybe you're talking and you're somebody that works 80 hours a week and you need to not work 80 hours a week, kids aside. What's interesting you say that because at the time I had, well, those, some of the stories I told were from when I worked at the YMCA and nonprofit and I did work 80 hours a week and lived on a farm and had no life whatsoever. <laughs> but, but when you walk on stage, there's probably a very good chance that the audience, especially if they don't know you or if they know you don't have kids or aren't married, they might go like, what are you going to teach me? Right. Yeah, okay. But what's so interesting is if you, and this is a business principle, by the way, this is a, this is true for your parenting. That you, this is any type of influence. Okay. So leadership influence, speaking influence, business marketing, it doesn't matter. Influence. If you can connect with people mm. on the problem that they have and help them understand that you understand their problem, then they don't care about anything else. 
Because all day, every day, the human brain is thinking, why do I care? Why do I care? What's in it for me? And so when I'm coaching people in business, your job as a business leader, as a marketer, is to connect with your audience on the problems they have. Because that's gonna answer the question the brain is thinking, which is what's in it for me. How, you know, Think about this, Lindsay. How many times have you been sitting in a, in a speech or talk or whatever? This happens to me all the time. You're sitting there and you're going, oh, get to the point, <laughs> get to the point, get to the point. And it's because they did not answer the question your brain is thinking, which is what's in it for me? Why am I here? Why does this matter to me? But if they can out of the gate connect with you on something you care about, then you're leaned in. Mm -hmm. You're ready for the rest of the talk. You're ready for the solution. You're ready for the steps. You're ready for the content. But so often speakers, business leaders, whoever, they just go straight to the solution. They go straight to the, get out of debt, get out of debt, stop spending money, lose weight, lose weight. Here, do this in parenting, do this, do this. But if they don't connect with you, in fact, hey, you're just like you and I started, hey, you're, you're trying so hard. You try so hard to keep your cool. And man, they'll just, like your patience grows and grows and grows and they can still push you past the point. It's so frustrating because like, you don't want to yell. You, you love your kids. You, you don't like, right? Like you're connecting with them on the frustration of, I want to be a good mom, but oh my gosh, they drive me to the end. Okay, here's what you do, right? Like when you can connect with people and the problem that they have, it doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter if you have kids or not. You just have connected with them on the most primal survival question their brain is thinking with, as it filters information all day. Is there something in this that's for me? If so, I'm gonna lean in and listen. And if not, I won't. Hey friends, all right, we've got a new sponsor today that I am pumped to tell you about. It is Two Before. Two Before is a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. What do blackcurrant berries do? Well, they contain unique levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins, which have been proven to boost athletic performance by increasing blood flow, making it more efficient for the body to pump oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood to the muscles. It also kickstarts your recovery, helps with muscle soreness, and manages inflammation, and it strengthens your immunity. Immune-boosting antioxidants and natural-occurring vitamin C are in these black currant berries. I gotta tell you, it also tastes refreshing and delicious. So you can drink it daily, 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. You'll feel that effect of it around 60 minutes from taking it. You just mix it up with around four to eight ounces of water or electrolyte drink, whatever you're drinking. I just mix mine with water and there you have it. All right, so I am really excited for you to check it out and excited to hear how it works for you. You can save 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to two, the number two, before.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and that'll get you 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping. All right, friends, back to the show. How do you, when you, and I, you know, Christy has this whole coaching business where she will help you <laughs> work on your speeches, work on talking in front of a group when you apply and all this, but like, yeah, how do you even coach someone to, to start their talk? Because like you said, you have to identify the problem first. So people sitting down have to know right away, this person is going to solve this problem for me. 
Yeah. Do, do you open with a story? Do you open with a question? How yeah. do you even choose those things? Yeah, great question. So I there, there's two parts to this. I always open with a story, and that's because it loosens people up. It's opportunity for humor, and it just gets them entertained and engaged. Like like there's fascinating research on brain science of storytelling. So when you tell a story, they did a, a study where they hooked up an MRI machine to a speaker's brain and to the listeners, the audience members' brain. And as a speaker told a story, aside from the fact that the brain was more active during a story than any other time in the talk. So that means that all the different parts of your brain are lit up and participating. So it's the whole brain is engaged versus just one part. Aside from that, the audience mirrored the speaker's emotions mm. during the story. So when the speaker was nervous, the audience was nervous. When the speaker was excited, the audience was excited. So it's called brain coupling and it's fascinating because you can truly hack into people's brains, Lindsay. Now we only want to do that for good. This is a deep responsibility <laughs> we have with storytelling, but it just shows that's why the power of story has been the most effective way to communicate for the history of all time. It's storytelling. So we do always start with the story, but to your point about the problem, how we get into the problem, you need to know your audience and you're not psychic and you don't have a magic eight ball. So you need to do your research. So for example, I don't do re I don't do in-depth research on audiences of podcasts because the interviewer is interviewing me. So they're going to lead it mm -hmm. in relation to their audience. So it's not necessary if you're going to be a guest on a podcast or a guest on a panel where someone's asking you questions, but if you're a speaker, if you're a keynote speaker, um, or even if you're a panelist at like a big event, that type of thing, I never ever get on stage without having a call with the client where I, it's a pre-event call mm -hmm. where I ask them all kinds of questions about their audience. And, and is so it you I, or your assistant that does the question? I do it. No, I, I want to hear it because yeah. I'll pick up on things that she wouldn't. And I want to have it in my head and my heart before I ever take the stage. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask things like this. I'll give you some examples. What's your objective of the event? What is your goal for my specific session? What do you hope they take away? What, what are they struggling with? How do they feel about what they're struggling with? How would they describe their problems? What are their motivations? What are their goals? What are their desires? If you want to influence someone, and it's true for kids too, by the way, <laughs> you need to know what motivates them and what frustrates them. That means what, what are their goals and aspirations and desires that you're going to appeal to and, and paint a picture of what's possible. And what are their frustrations, meaning their challenges, their problems, their, their feelings, their insecurities, their hurdles. When you know what motivates them and what frustrates them, you can speak to that and bridge that gap of how to overcome their frustrations and, and appeal to their motivations. And it's not manipulation. You, as, as you take your content and insert it through this lens, then I could take life balance and I could give a life balance talk to high level CEO men. Mm. And I could give a life balance talk to stay at home moms. And the core content, 70% of my life balance talk does not change, but my examples mm -hmm. are going to be very different. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do my homework and research to understand this audience and their mindset and their struggles and their feelings and their guilt and their worry and all that, then when I give these examples, whether they're my personal examples or, uh, you know, uh, uh, something in the news or something in a story, it helps the audience feel seen, known, and understood. And that gives you that empathy and authority to, to give you the right to speak into their life because they, they want to know that they are understood before you can speak into their life. And so it just it, doing that homework and doing that research is really, really important. Um, you know, when you talked about the stories at the beginning, <laughs> I saw on Instagram the other day this thing. It was like on a napkin and it said like, the second time I say, that's crazy, 
wrap up your story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a guideline on like how long th- those stories should be? Because the last thing you want to do is lose your audience within the first two minutes of your talk. Yeah, I, I would say this. If the story does not connect to where you're going, mm. you will lose them. So it should yeah. connect to where it needs to have a point that directly drives. Everything moves the talk forward. So your story needs to move the talk forward. Building up the problem needs to move the talk forward. Everything moves the talk forward. It's like um, this is the this is the vehicle and there's a destination, which is the solution and the, and the transformation you're going to give through this talk. That's what we're driving to. What happens a lot of times is you just have people that are not <laughs> – I feel like I need to self-edit – that are not good storytellers. And know. what I mean by that is one of two things. Either they're the, the most common problems. I'm just going off the cuff here. But I would say the most problem pro, – the biggest problems I see with storytellers are one – Either they ramble and they put in so many details that have nothing to do with anything. Now, if I'm going to give you detail, it's going to absolutely apply to where I'm taking you with this. So if, if, um, if I'm going to tell you a story and it's something about my office and it's about my bookshelves and I was looking for a book in the book, it was there, I'm going to go into detail about my bookshelf and I've got hundreds of books and they're all different colors. And, and the reason I'm giving that detail is to help you understand the context. This is the setup for where I'm going, which is I could not find this specific book. I'm making this up, right? Right. But if I'm going to tell you a story about how I couldn't get out of the house this morning, it's like, and then I was in my office and I have this bookshelf. It has all these books and all this color. But the point is that, that I couldn't get out. Do you see what I'm saying? They give details that don't drive to the destination. If, if there are details that are relevant to where you're taking this story, give the details. It paints the picture. It makes the person there in the moment with you. But a lot of storytellers, they don't know how to edit. So they just either add all the details that have nothing to do with anything. And people are like, you're rambling, get to the point. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> the books don't move on, right? Or they give no details and they are dull as a brick. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and so then it was so crazy the other day. And then I couldn't get out of the house. And then my kids and, and, and you're like, I'm not, you don't believe it. So I don't believe it. And they're just, right. they're not bringing that story to life. I tell um, people that I coach all the time, you're not retelling a story, you're reliving a story. And you're inviting the audience to relive it with you. And so from sights to sounds, to textures, to feelings, to body position, I mean, I even use my whole body and we don't have the frame here, but I use my whole body when I I describe um, being at Fox Business and how I was in this rolling chair that almost rolled off a platform and I used my fingers to like suction myself to the glass top table so I didn't roll off and I've got my fingers like this and and there was this woman and she had this stiff bob and she looked really, right? Like you're using your whole body to bring that story to life, which is what makes it not only entertaining, but it helps them helps them go on the journey with you, which is what you really want them to do so that they can get to the destination you're leading to. What you all didn't know was this was a podcast to help you be a good party guest. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) You want to be a good storyteller at your parties as well. There you go. Okay. So your newest book, Take Back Your Time. We don't have enough time to get into the whole shebang of it. But what did you want people to take from that book that you wrote? I wanted people to understand tactically and practically how to get rid of their guilt. And I know that sounds silly, but like, we think we have a time problem. It's not a time problem. We have a guilt problem. Yeah. And certainly it affects our time and our time affects our guilt. But what I noticed in my own life, and again, this is through lived experience, is that I spent my whole life focusing on where I was not. So when I was at work, I was thinking about my kids. Are they okay? Are they sick? Do they need me? Am I a bad mom? And then when I'm home with my kids, I'm thinking about work, my computer, the email, the project, the deadline. If you spend your whole life focusing on where you're not, of course you feel guilty. 
Right. Because you're focused on where you're not and what you're not doing and what you didn't get to. So I want to help people flip the focus to where they are and certainly spend their time on what's important to them because that's where you're going to shake the guilt as well, but then being present for what that is. So a very simple question I could give your listeners that sums up the entire book that is practical, that you give yourself permission to ask yourself this each season, meaning, you know, we're back, you were talking about back to school as you transition back to school or summer or Christmas or just kind of the seasonality of your life or your business each season, each week each day and even throughout the day. Here's the question. What's right right now? Mm. What's right right now in this season? Everything is not right all at the same time. And when we expect that it is or put, put our pressure on ourselves for it to be, then we feel really guilty for not getting to things. But often those things are not even important anymore. What was important six months ago or six weeks ago or six days ago is not necessarily important right now. And so What's so beautiful about the relevance, you're talking about relevance, what's so beautiful about the relevance of this question is it gives us permission to constantly reassess what's right right now. Um, so for example, tomorrow afternoon, I had planned to write all afternoon. My daughter's had some problems with her teeth and she had um, dental surgery like a, a, a week and a half ago and she's still having problems. They had an appointment open up tomorrow at 3.30. My afternoon just changed. Got What's right right now is getting Mary Grace's teeth taken care of. Yep. So if I didn't reassess that constantly, then I'd feel so guilty. Oh, I'm going to try to write in the doctor's office. And try to, you're, we're setting ourselves up to fail. So um, instead, just giving yourself permission to say, okay, what's right right now? And when you say, okay, what's right right now? Oh, I just had surgery. I'm going to recover from surgery. What's right right now? Oh my gosh, it's the biggest season ever in my business. I'm going all in on my business. My house isn't clean, but that's not right right now. What's right right now? It's launching this book or this book. So it gives you permission to focus on what's right right now. But here's what's so cool. It helps you shake the guilt yeah. for all the things that are not right right now. Because you don't beat yourself up anymore. You just go, oh, girl, that's not right right now. That'll be right next time. It's not right right now. And so it just helps you understand what's important to you at any given moment, any given week or season. Do it. Focus on it and be present for it and not feel guilty for the things that are not important right now. Gosh, I need that. That And that especially as a mom, that is so important because how many times does something like that come up with your kids? And, you know, someone like me who works part-time for themselves, and when I get those three hours scheduled in, it's like, this is my time to work. Sure. Nobody can interrupt me. And then an appointment or here's, the, here's one, school calls, someone's mm -hmm. sick. Mm-hmm you're the parent that's on duty to go do that because your husband's got meetings all day or your partner right. has meetings all day, whatever. Like it is so easy to be like angry and frustrated because you're just like, ah, you know, I right. had that one section of three hours. Right. But if I say, no, this is what's right right now. Right. This is what's most important. Picking my kid up from school. Right. You got to let go of the work obsession then in that, in that moment. Well, and I think we can acknowledge, it was like we were talking about at the beginning of the, the episode here, we have to acknowledge that we're people too. Yeah. And we can acknowledge our feelings of this is really frustrating. Yeah. I plan to get, you know, three chapters written and now I'm going to get a half a chapter written and I have to now figure out where I'm going to slate this in because someone is sick. We can acknowledge our frustration and we can acknowledge that what's right right now is not necessarily what we want. Yeah. I don't want to stop. I don't want to rest. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to recover from surgery. I don't want to travel. I, whatever. We can acknowledge that. And then at the same time go, okay, acknowledge my feelings. And I also... I'm going to declare and acknowledge, but it's, but it's also right. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to have a good attitude because this is what is right. And ultimately I want to do what is right. And, um, and I think that that is easier said than done, but when we at least have the purpose, the foundation of purpose to it, that this is the right thing. So for example, um, 
you know, I, I go to a lot of things for my kids. And the reason I go to a lot of things for my kids, like maybe neurotically, is because <laughs> my mom didn't go to a lot of stuff for me. Yeah. So that's coming out of a wound. So I know that I don't have to go to everything. I don't have to. But whenever I decide to, or I move things around in order to be able to, I remind myself, this is what's important to me because of what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And so it, I'm willing to move things around. And I know I don't have to be at everything, but I'm willing to move things around and make sacrifices to be at as many things as I can, even if I turn down money, even if I turn down opportunities, because what is right for me, even if it's hard, it's easier to work. I love working. Working is a vacation compared to childcare <laughs> my children. <laughs> but... It's that's right for me. I, I love I, I I can I choose to have a good attitude, go, oh, what a gift that I have a job where I can move things around. And I have a new level of appreciation for that since leaving Ramsey, honestly, where I had so much more of a strict and packed schedule. Now I've got the freedom. I'm like, oh man, I'm so grateful that I get to be the one to go to penguin day or, you know, soccer practice or whatever the thing is. And so, um, sometimes just that reminding yourself why it's right for you and then choosing to have appreciation for that can help you help your resolve and your confidence and your, um, enjoyment of it. You know, you know, you mentioned that being so important to you because your mom didn't show up for as much as you would have wanted. And isn't it so challenging? Like the things we bring from our own childhood, yes. like separately with our partners, Yes. So like what I view as real is really important for the kids can be yeah. different than what my husband views because we had yeah. completely different upbringings. That is okay. so hard to manage. It's hard. And I think it's, it's hard to not let the pendulum swing the opposite way where I struggle to miss things. Yeah. So like I have three kids and often I will attend, um, like part holiday parties are always at the same time. Yep. So Carter's my oldest, Conley's my middle. They're at different schools. Their parties will be at the same time. So I always go to Conley's party. And the reason is, is Conley's school, there's strategy to it. There's Conley's school just doesn't have as many activities as Carter's. Mm -hmm. I do so many things for Carter's school. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't have as many. So I always choose his, his holiday party and they need more support with kids that have learning differences and stuff. But inevitably I get a guilt trip when I get home from oh, Carter. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. like all the other moms are there. Every mom was there. But every, and it's like, if I'm not careful, I'll be like, oh like beating myself up that I couldn't be in two places at once. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, child, you are fine. I go to 9 million things for you. You're going to be fine. And it goes back to even what I was saying about flipping your focus to what you're doing right, not what you're doing wrong, What, where you are, not where you're not. I, I'll give you a great example. During COVID, the so during 2020, um, in August of that year, there were three weekends in a row when I traveled, when I had to be gone for work and different things. And by the third weekend rolling around, I felt really guilty. And I told my husband, I just said, I feel really guilty because I'm working during the week and then I'm traveling on the weekends. This is three weekends in a row that I've been away from the kids. I just feel really bad. And Matt goes, Christy, you have been locked up with these children for six months <laughs> straight. They've had plenty of quality Word. time with you. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be okay. They're, I was like, you're right. But see, I was focused on three weekends. Yep. Not the six months we had spent together where we went to the lake, went to the beach, went on walks in the middle of the day. That's what we do as moms. We only focus on what we're not doing, not what we're doing. Where we're not, not where we are. And so I just want to help women flip the focus. Another really practical thing that, that I think could be helpful for, for the women listening to this, especially those that are moms that are trying to juggle all the things. One of the reasons I think, Lindsay, that we never shake the guilt, the reason we never really feel successful in motherhood is a very simple reason. We never define success. Mm. So it's a moving target that we never hit. The finish line always moves. So what if, I know this sounds super practical, okay? But what if you sat down 
and maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's just with you yourself journaling, and you just said, okay, what is success to me in parenting? I'm gonna make up some examples, okay? You make it your own. Success to me is that three nights a week we have dinner as a family around the dinner table. Success to me is I make every soccer game. I don't make practices, but I make the games. Success to me is I spend uh, 10 hours of quality time with my kids during the week, whether that's all of them together or separately, 10 hours. Now, I don't, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's five hours, maybe it's 25 hours, I don't care. You decide what is important to you. And that's the whole premise of take back your time is like, I'm not gonna tell you what's important to you, but I want you to think about it so you can do it. And if you would define success as a mom, now there's not a single week that's perfect. Of course we know that. It's not a formula, things always come up, kids get sick, dentist appointments, whatever. But the reality is if you could define success and at least you have some type of, of form of litmus test to go, hey, I'm kind of close or I'm rocking it this week or I'm better than I thought. So you can take the afternoon off or you can go on a date with your husband or go have get a babysitter because you're like, oh my gosh, I did these things. Because if not, if you never define it, then you never get there and you will spend your whole life feeling guilty. And, and the truth is, I think that we are do we are all doing so much better than we think we are. And so what happens is we're gonna, you know, I think back to, oh gosh, this is a weird example, but I think back to high school. Okay? <laughs> so in high school, I was the biggest of my friends and I wasn't big at all as a normal high school girl, but all my friends were like double zero. Okay. Uh -huh. I was not a double zero. I've always been athletic. I was probably a size four or six. Yeah. Great size. Yeah. But growing up in high school, I felt like the big girl. Mm -hmm. I just, I thought I was the big girl because it was in relation to my friends that were teeny tiny. Right. And so I look back at high school pictures and I'm like, girl, you were cute. Why didn't you know it? And I think, you know, when we're in our later years, in our 60s, our 70s, our 80s, we're going to look back at these pictures of us as young moms and we're going to go, girl, you were doing such a good job. Why didn't you know it? Why didn't you enjoy it while you were in it? So I just try to remind myself of that. When I look back at pictures of me with a, a newborn in my arm and a one and a half year old on my hip, and I'm like, and I just probably was beating myself up then to go, you are doing great and you're doing great now. You're doing better than you think you are. Why don't you know it now so you can enjoy it now versus look, you know, living with regret and guilt and then looking back and realizing it later. So I just, I think if we could define success and then just measure it against that, what, what is success for you in motherhood? Get as close as you can. Give yourself grace when you don't. And when you rock and when you hit it, freaking be proud of yourself and give yourself permission to step away and do something else. I mean, were you trying to make me cry? Like, <laughs> like, I was like, it's a gift. It's a gift. I have. <laughs> That's too, my eyes started welling, like picturing myself with my like four kids when they were like baby two, four, six, like, whoo. Cause even now looking back at those pictures, my youngest is about to be five. My oldest is 11. And I'm like, how the heck did you do that? That's right. That's right. I, I don't even know. And right. so. And I know a lot of people listening are there. That's right. You and I aren't even that far removed from that. I think our kids are very similar in ages. Mm -hmm. We're still in the weeds of like little kids, but mm -hmm. like transitioning into, right. you know, some bigger kid stuff. Right. All right. Listen up. Lagoon Pillows. Oh my goodness. They are back to sponsor the podcast. And let me just tell you, Lagoon is the best pillow I have ever laid my head on in my 39 and a half years of life. I have looked for good pillows for a very long time. And before Lagoon, I was settled on a higher quality pillow I got at Target. Uh, I, I mean, I've tried Tempur-Pedic. I've tried other brands and this is by far the best. 
I think because it's so customized. You fill out a two-minute sleep quiz, okay? And whether you're a back sleeper, a side sleeper, a belly sleeper, however you sleep, these pillows are incredible. I have the Otter. My husband, Glenn, has the Fox. They are so perfect when you lay your head on them. And listen, if you want a more firm pillow, they have those options. If you want a more soft pillow, they have those options. And they even send you the filling so you can fill your pillow as full or as little as you want. It is truly customizable. And we all know that like sleep is so important. If you are not sleeping well and the thing that you are laying your head on is contributing to not good sleep, you need to fix it because we are all working really hard to pursue athletic goals and dreams and sleep is so important. So listen, go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y to get 15% off your order and just then come thank me for changing your sleep life because Lagoon is amazing. All right, friends, back to the show. You had mentioned you are a naturally optimistic person. Mm. And I, so I have had a long battle with anxiety, especially around health. Mm. Always think I have cancer. Always think Mm. this. Always the worst case scenario. And I look at someone like you, and I know we all have our own personas like online or whatever, but like people like you and me, like we're sharing with the world who we really are. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like if I got some scary diagnosis or something, I honestly would want to be like, how would Christy Wright handle this? (laughs) I mean, seriously, that's how I feel when I hear you speak and you speak with such intention and positivity and you lean so hard into your faith. And that can be hard for some of us who are Mm -hmm. like feel a little lost in our faith. So I don't even know what the question is. I just want to know how you continuously work on being that optimistic person. Yeah. I love this question. I think, you know, when you, when you think about like faith, for example, there's a spiritual component to faith, but there's also a practical component to like optimism and pulling ourselves out of the pit, right? Like it's like, even if you're not a person of faith, like there's things we can do to pull ourselves out of the pit, even though anxiety is very real. And to be totally transparent, Lindsay, the last like three days, I've been gripped with anxiety mm. and I'm not, I don't know. It's not something that's a norm for me. I will have like around a specific event. I will get anxiety or panic attacks around a specific thing, but it's not like this low level all the time. And it's been like, it's almost like I was sitting there with my husband and I was like, it's like my body is in fight or flight and I yeah. am perfectly safe and there's nothing on my mind. And it's like, I can't even explain it. So I, I do think it's helpful for us to understand what are the things that we can do we can't do everything to fix it, but what are the things that we can do to kind of pull ourselves out of the pit? Um, I, I, one of the things I have done this year that is very intentional and I'm not a counselor. I'm not, you know, so let me just say this is a personal experience from a mom that's done it. And this has been helpful for me. Um, I have tried to in the same breath, acknowledge my feelings and declare what is true. And so here's what that looks like for me. Um, this year, I feel like God has had me on this crazy journey around believing him for this house that is totally impossible. It's this whole thing. And I keep thinking, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I'm walking by faith and I'm obeying by faith and I'm doing what I feel like God has asked me to do. And none of it's turning out how I thought. None of it. And so in my disappointment, I try to acknowledge my feelings, but declare what is true. So here's what that looks like. I got packed boxes. Lindsay, like packed boxes. And I would say, and I've said this multiple times, I feel so stupid, mm. but I am not stupid. I like may a, look, 
you, a house you were buying is is falling through. Is that what you're saying? One that I no, it was never for sale. It was never <laughs> for sale. I just I'm supposed to have it. <laughs> it's even weirder than your example. Yeah, no, it's just I, it's this house that I feel like God has showed me that we're gonna buy, and it's not for sale, and not even remotely possible for us. So, <laughs> minor detail. Um, but but I've tried to declare like that. That's an extreme example, but like I feel stupid. Because I publicly said, like, I believe this is our house. And I still do, by the way. Mm. I feel stupid, but I am not stupid. Mm-hmm. I feel, st- I may look stupid, but I am not stupid. Um, I feel abandoned by God. I'm not abandoned by God. Mm. Um, I feel like nothing's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And so there's a difference between our head and our heart. And sometimes they can feel like they're at war with each other. And our feelings are so real. We can feel heartbroken, alone, lost, confused. We can feel all that. We can validate those feelings. And not um, beat ourselves up. Oh, you shouldn't feel this way. You should have bigger faith. You should be more optimistic. No, no, no. Acknowledge your feelings. Acknowledge your fears. Acknowledge that. And then you can declare, especially if you're a person of faith or even if you're like curious, you can still declare, I believe there's a God and he is good. I believe that I will be taken care of. You know, for for people that are not um, specifically Christian, they they do positive affirmations and that can be really powerful. But when you can acknowledge your feelings but declare what is true, it continually resets your focus. And it's not this blind optimism. It's resetting your focus on like, I'm going to put an anchor on what I believe is true. Um, Actually, I... If your listeners go to getyourhopesup.com, get your hopes up is the name of my podcast. Yeah. But if you go to getyourhopesup.com, I've got a seven day devotional and each day I send you a specific thing that you can do. So as an example, here's something that you could do. And it's through the lens of faith, but even if you're not a person of faith, you could do this. What would it look like for you to write down in journal all the times that you faced challenges and you got through them? Mm. That may seem like a simple exercise, but it's not. When you look back at you with four babies and you go... I made that. I can make it through this. I have walked on stages before where I was petrified and I survived it. I can walk on this stage where I'm petrified, right? Like looking backwards, the way that I, the way that I view it as a person of faith is I look back at God's faithfulness. He was faithful then and then, and then, and then, and then he will be faithful again. You can look back at it like that. You can look back at it and say, I have overcome. I have overcome. I have overcome. I will overcome again. You see what I'm saying? And so it's just, there's practical things you can do. That's one example. Um, there's another one to get in God's word. There's another one to, to pray. Journaling is a really pow- powerful exercise. There's all these, there's all these things that you can do to, it's not so much just help yourself be more optimistic, but to get you through when that fear and that anxiety grips you. Cause it grips all of us, no matter how optimistic you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a million voices yelling at you all day. You turn on the news for five seconds, scroll social media for five seconds. Anybody's anxious. My husband asked me the other day, he said, um, are you, are you keeping up with all these, you know, fires in Hawaii? Mm. And I said, honestly, no, babe. I go, yeah. there's always something devastating going on somewhere in the world. And it's just like it, I would live in a state of anxiety at all times. And it's not that I'm, I, I want to bury my head in the sand, but John Eldridge talks about this in his book, get your life back. We were never created to know about all the world's problems all at the same time. And so I think there's an element of this, of protecting yourself and preserving your own mental health and your own faith. Um, in order to, you, you can't control all of it, but control what you can. Control your inputs. Control yes. that. I mean, if I put the news on in the morning, even if it's just background noise, I know. I know my anxiety for the day mm-hmm. is going to be 10 yeah. times higher. Yeah. If I actually haven't been getting on Twitter anymore, mm-hmm. anxiety is so much better. And it's, yeah. I like Twitter. I, yeah. I mean, whatever, at threads, X, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, but like. It's that input, that input, that input. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! And I, I know you've, I know we're about to wrap, but no, you're fine. 
I remember, not to bring up a really sad thing, but I'm bringing up a really sad thing. When the shooting happened in your Mm -hmm. town, Mm -hmm. um, what was the school? Covenant. Covenant Christian. And you had friends whose whose Mm -hmm. children went there. I remember you getting on your social media and being very vulnerable and Mm -hmm. honest about like what you're learning, what you, what Mm -hmm. you want to do and all these. And I wonder, I have found as someone who would be considered, and people make fun of me for this, Mm -hmm. people who, someone who would be considered middle of the road Mm -hmm. and all things politics, Mm -hmm. like people think you, you say that because you don't want to take a side because you don't want to be like aggressive Mm -hmm. one way or the other but really sometimes you just don't know right you don't Mm -hmm. know where you lie anyway my question with this is like how do you speak out boldly passionately vulnerably knowing this audience is so big and that people are gonna come at you for things sometimes yeah it's interesting that was such a different Someone said, you know, I actually did a reel on this on how you you can't please everyone. And we know that, but then like we still try to. And so, um, so we say nothing and there's more people in the middle than we realize. And so we, that's the normal, not normal, but that's the more like common sense, level-headed, open-minded group that we need to hear from more. Yeah. Um, Someone said though, um, why are you just now speaking up? Yeah. And I said, because it happened in my town. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think so often we want to curate an answer and like come back with something. Like, it's like sometimes the most honest answer is the best answer. It's like no one cares till it happens to them. Right. No one really cares. I didn't care. If we're just going to keep it real, 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 I, I, I was not aware of or interested in the special needs community until my son became special needs. Mm. Just tell the truth. That's the truth. None of us care about something with deep conviction, unless you just feel called to, unless you've just always had a heart for something. But 90% of the time, your heart for the thing is your connection to it, whether you were a product of it, you were affected by it, you knew someone who was. So it's like, it happens in Nashville, and I had been silent on all the other things, scared silent, scared silent, scared to make somebody mad and, and all the hate. and all. I also felt a different level of, um, of under the microscope being at Ramsey. Because yeah. anything I put out was a reflection of Ramsey. And so then there was this weird multiple layers of like, oh, I'm going to make so many people mad on so many. I can't, you know, I just feel like you can't say anything right. But when I'm on my own, I'm like, oh, I can make people mad. That's fine. They can be mad and, and whatever. But what's so interesting is often, and this is not just true with social media. This is true with speaking. This is true with business. This is true with anything. Often the most powerful things you'll ever do are going to be on the other side of your fear. I was petrified to post those things. Were you? And that took off more than anything I've posted since I left Ramsey or since or before. I mean, I mean, my my feed blew up. And yeah, you had some some loud extremes, but most of the people were like, "Thank you." People would stop me in public, Lindsay. Mm. Stop me in public. Not, I loved your book. Not, I've been to your events. It was, thank you for what you said about the shooting. Thank you gave me courage to go speak up in my groups. You gave me courage to speak. And so it's like you've got all these people that are very rational, reasonable people that are just open-minded. What a concept. Now speaking up, some of the most powerful things you'll ever do are on the other side of your foot. But, 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 and I'm going to get spiritual for a second. There is a very real enemy that doesn't want you shining light in this world. And so you're going to feel this fear and panic because he wants you scared silent because he doesn't want light and hope and and progress in the world. And so I think for me, I've had enough of those moments where I'm so scared to hit publish on a blog, or I'm so scared to hit post on a post. And it's usually the things I'm most scared of is the ones that have the most power to them because they're going to set some people free and it's going to shine some light in this world that desperately needs it. 
I think one of the biggest fears too is that will I be misunderstood here? And you will. Yeah. You absolutely will. You need to know that going in. Yeah. You need to know I will be misunderstood. And my job is not to make everyone understand because someone that is just hell-bent on misunderstanding you is going to misunderstand you no matter how you do it, no matter how you say it, no matter how you craft it. You can't find the perfect words for them because they are absolutely determined to be against whatever that viewpoint or whatever you're doing. You just need to know that. But, 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 okay. Let me give you a speaking example. When I very, very first got started speaking, I um, was like, I would obsessively look at the reviews afterwards. Like, am I good? Am I good? Like, did like, cause we would always have these surveys afterwards. How did the speakers do? Right. This was 10 years ago. And I would get these reviews and it was like, you know, 97% five star, right? Like we loved her. We loved her. Amazing. What? Right. But then there's the one star, right? Yep. There's a the couple of one stars. And what I've learned is while we while our natural bit is to like obsess over the one star, obsess over the person that's being mean, you know, hate, whatever. Here's what I've realized. I, I You look at it, step back a little bit from the emotion of it, from the emotion of the rejection of it or the, the ego or the hurt feelings or whatever. If you can step back and go, okay, they didn't understand me. These five people didn't understand me. These 20% didn't understand, whatever. They didn't understand me. But I'm willing to withstand the hate from them to fight for the 80% that did. The 80% that need a voice, the 95%, the 97% that need a voice, that needed hope, that needed help, that needed healing, that walked out of that room changed because of what I said on my job. I'm willing to withstand the rocks being thrown at me from this smaller minority percentage, knowing it's gonna happen. It's never gonna be 100%, I know that. So I'm willing to withstand it to fight for these guys. I'm willing to fight for them. So the, that's the way that I saw it with the covenant thing. I thought, there's people that need a voice. And I'm the person to do it because I'm willing to withstand the haters to give the middle people a voice. And it wasn't even like a business strategy. I've not even talked about it since and I didn't have a plan beforehand. But I thought in that moment, in all my fear, because I have the same fear. I don't want people to not like me. I don't get a kick out of hateful comments. It hurts right. my feelings too. But I think I've been trained enough by the 10 years of this, of a public job to say, yes, they're there. It's not that I don't care. I do care. I'm human like you do, like we all do. I'm just willing to deal with it. I'm willing to withstand it and let it fly at me because I see all these people that need whatever it is that I'm saying or doing. I'm willing to fight for them. Mm, that's so good. Ugh. Okay, last question before end of podcast questions. You mentioned when you left Ramsey, you, you felt God calling you. You felt like this was what you needed to go do. And whether we are a people of faith or not, I think whoever's listening can take a lot from what you're going to say here. How do you know? Like, how? And I know it's you recently did a podcast one. on this. This I know. needs to be my next book, Lindsay. I this does. Is, I just got off a podcast, and this is what we talked about. Yeah. This is the number one question I'm asked. And I think I've asked it so often because I talk about it so boldly. Yeah. God said, God did, God yeah. led. And I believe it, yeah. I know. It's true. It's true. It's the truth. Okay. I'll say a couple things, and I could, we could do a whole separate show. I know. I'll keep I know. it brief. I'll keep it brief. Okay. I will say this. I want to debunk any myth that I have a special connection with God that is unavailable to anyone else. That is simply untrue. Okay. Here's what I will say. Over decades, I just turned 40 a couple weeks ago, over decades of listening, I've become more attuned to understanding and perceiving and discerning and identifying what I believe is God leading me. Now here, I want to give you some words that will help people take this down to the ground level and like, really, what does this look like? It doesn't, for me at least, sound at all like an audible voice. Mm. It feels like an urge. Mm. It feels like a nudge. 
It feels like a check in my spirit. I'm uncomfortable with something. It feels like, oh, this idea just keeps coming up again and again and again. I can't shake it. Why won't this idea get out of my head? It feels like a pull. It feels like a sense, like I've got this sense I'm supposed to do this. A pull, a nudge, a call, an urge, a sense, a tug. All these words are evasive, elusive words, right? Like it's not like a concrete thing. So here would be my encouragement to your listeners. If you feel a nudge, if you feel a pull or a call or just this idea that, man, you just can't shake it no matter how much you try, if you feel that, follow it. Mm. That's all. Just follow it. Just take one tiny step in that direction. Maybe the tiny step is journaling about it. Maybe the tiny step is saying it out loud to your spouse or a trusted friend. As you take a tiny step to follow that pull or that call, it will either get bigger and more affirmed and more confirmed because it is from God. And he's like, yes, I'm going to fan the flame. Yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you got it. You got it. Yes, yes, I'm going to give you more. Or... He'd be like, no, 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 over here. Like it will, it will, it will take an about face because here's what I believe. I believe our heavenly father wants what is good for us and he wants to guide us, but we have to be moving for him to turn the car. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've got some people that are sitting on the couch. They are scared. They are stuck and they're waiting till hundred percent certainty before they follow any type of leading from God. And God never gives us hundred percent. We're talking about an invisible omnipotent God. There's never hundred percent. The most I ever get to is 90% and 90% was Ramsey. And it was because he gave me a thousand confirmations a day because he knew it would be so hard for me. Sometimes, Lindsay, I get to 51%. I'm like, I'm not sure, but I'm leaning a little this way. And it feels like maybe this is the thing. So I'm going to follow it. And then through following it, again, it's confirmed. Um, So I just want to set people free from the expectation that it has to be a lightning in the sky, an audible voice, 100% certainty. It doesn't look like that. Sometimes if you just feel this tug at your heart, if you just feel this idea that just keeps nagging at you, I believe that idea is getting planted there by a God that loves you and has something for you on the other path of that. Your job is just to follow it. Think of it like this wonderful scavenger hunt. And it's this wild adventure with God where you're like, okay, what does he have for me next? What does he have for me next? Just follow the pull and he'll show you if it's from him or not. And what do you do if you're in a a marriage where you're a big dreamer (laughs) and your partner's like, we're good right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I feel, are you a dreamer and is your yeah. husband a dreamer? Yes. That's a very, that's, that's very real. I mean, yeah. we joke, but that's very real. And I will say this. I cannot tell you, I hope it's okay that I'm saying this publicly. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that God will, I will feel like, and I, I will say at this point, after like tuning my ears to it, it's like, it's become so clear where I can quickly identify. I will feel God call me to do something or lead me to do something. Uh-huh. And I will say, you got to talk to Matt about that because yeah. you know, you know, he's not going to like it, you right. know? And so God, it, it's been this interesting year where God is, there are things that I lead and that may make some of my conservative Christians uncomfortable, but I'm going to do a whole podcast episode on that tomorrow. Uh. Um, God has called me to do a thing. And there are times when he drops it in Matt's heart as well. And there's times when he doesn't, but Matt begrudgingly agrees. And God's like, that has to be enough. That yeah. has to be enough. You're leading us with his begrudging agreement is enough. Move yep. on. And then there's other times where Matt doesn't agree and we wait until we're both on the same page, you know. I love that. That begrudging yes is okay because sometimes. It's a yes. That. It's still a yes. Because <laughs> then you feel that like, 
well, what if he resents me because it doesn't work out or whatever? Right. But I right. love that. Okay, let's wrap up here. What is something professionally or personally, Christy, that you have not done that you would like to do with your life? Oh, I love adventure. Mm. I love adventure. So I really want to go to Israel. Speaking mm. of the Holy Land, I want to go scuba diving. I want to, um, I've been cage diving with sharks. That was on my bucket list. I just love adventure, any kind of adventure. Like, yeah, I just, all the adventures. Do you camp? Uh, not right. Not little kids. Not yet, but we have great intentions to now that the boys are a little older to take them camping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson. It's actually exactly what we're talking about of like how his argument is that the Holy Spirit is like a wild goose. And normally wild goose chase means like purposeless, but it's actually very purposeful. They can't be tamed. They can't be tracked. It's not always right, right, right. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's left. Sometimes it's stop. Sometimes it's go. And it's just this beautiful book of, of learning how to look for God. So that's the most recent one. Is he in D.C.? Yes. Okay. My sister used to go to his church, I think. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm a big fan. But um, my most favorite book on hearing God's voice, which is what we were talking about a minute ago, is Discerning the Voice of God by Priscilla Shire. And okay. it's a book or Bible study. It's a really quick read. Um, that is hands down my favorite book on identifying God's leading. And that's called discerning the voice of God. But I've read that like five times, but the most recent is Wild Goose Chase. Okay. Love it. Kids book you recommend? Ooh, um, You Are Special by Max Lucado. Nice. It's beautiful. And do you have a trip or something you've done with your little kids that you recommend for the listeners? <laughs> not at all. I don't think we that's... went to the park yesterday. <laughs> no, no, no. What I was going to say is probably not at all what you're actually asking. Split them up. Oh yeah, that's up. great. That's great. Putting them up on trips or on a Sunday or any day is the most game-changing thing I've ever done in my parenting. And again, going back to my wounds, so I was an only child with a single mom. So all I ever had was one-on-one time with her. So I totally took it for granted. Mm. With my kids, it's just this circus at all times. When I pull one of them and go do something, not only do they act better, not only are they easier, I enjoy them more. They feel special. Everything is better when we separate them. And I know that sounds crazy, but we have plenty of together time. Take them on a trip, just one of them at a time if you can. It's just, it's, we did that. We've done that with all of them and it's just, it's game changer. It's awesome. Game changer for sure. For sure. I'm always constantly trying to navigate that. Okay. What is your last message to leave with our audience? Just be curious. You know, I think, I think that when you talk about faith, like I just, I hope there's someone listening and they're like, huh, what's she talking about? Follow that curiosity. And I think that being curious, you know, I think it was Ted Lasso that said, be curious, not judgmental. Yes. That's just a good word for parents, for women with mommy wars. Just be curious, not judgmental. Just be curious. I love that. Be curious about your faith. Be curious about what's someone else up to in that versus judging them. I think that would be good for all of us. Thank you so much, Christy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Christy, for coming on the show. You all can find Christy on social media. She is Christy B. Wright over there. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 and you can find this podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? Learn more about this show and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? <laughs>